All right. Uh, welcome to Hot Yoga. It's good to see you. <laughs> Taking a page. I mean, we like to follow successful people. So, uh, you know, the, the, these are. I, I just tell you though, it's only going to get better. We're getting. We're getting better. Uh, the new system is going in. Blah 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 blah. Did you notice how little the candles dripped wax this morning? Because I did. And so do the altar gilders. If we get the other side in, it'll be glorious. There won't be. Okay, it's Palm Sunday. We should pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who by your mercy spared not your only Son, but gave him up to death and to the cross, we beg you, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may be comforted by his grace. Be on guard against all sin and patiently bear whatever you send us to suffer, that through him we may live forever with thee. Amen. Now, as you get smarter, you need less and less. So um, that uh, little thing by Rowan Williams today, you know, people always want to know about evil in the world, and they spin it all out. Um, I was driving home last night. What was I? Oh, because of the, you know, anytime there's a national tragedy, two things happen. One, people start to pray to God, any God, pray to God. And then two, they start to ask where God is. And, you know, if God... Was is a good God? Why isn't He there? So two things always come to mind. You know, why doesn't God just make everything right? And I was thinking to myself, we have a story for that. You know, the story of Eden is the story of God making everything right and giving it to us. So we actually know what happens when God makes everything right and gives it to us. Uh, we don't do that well. So you know, when people say, why doesn't God just make everything right? The answer is He already did that. Um, and then we aren't we aren't really so good with it. But the other thing is is you know and that's a that's a bit of a finger wag you know in the way of the law, in the way of the gospel. Um, the thing from Rowan Williams there where he basically says, Jesus has an awful lot of options, but what Jesus chooses to do, is enter into our suffering with us and stay with us, which is the most um, comforting thing because then. By the end of the weekend, you know, what you'll find out is that, and we find this out every year, but we need to find it out again, is that um, he enters into our suffering and he stays with us. And when Jesus is mixed in with our suffering, at some point the suffering comes to an end and then actually is for our good. So we can have a prayer for Palm Sunday that says, um, you know, stand by us in our suffering. We presume that it'll come to us, but that we'll emerge on the other side in some sort of Easter fashion, which then allows all of us to receive our suffering um, and and do do some good by it. I will also say, though, um, that sounds very textbookish uh, when you sort of read the story of those children who were, you know, I mean, you could hardly, you could hardly have a worse story about a lot of, a lot of kids who were, you know, first generation going to college, kids from very, very poor families, and people who devoted their lives to poor families. It's just a, it's a horrible story. But remember, you know, Jesus stays with us in our suffering. So uh, it's good to, you can say it sort of theoretically, but then, you know, at some point you have to help people kind of move through. The money goes to Paul Finn, who, by the way, will be here to preach and to do Bible study on the 4th of May. So um, that'll be fun. He, uh, you know, he's coming for the Lutheran Bible Translators uh, deal. And uh, so I wrote him, and he wrote back, uh, and uh, so that'll be nice to get reacquainted with Dr. Finn. Okay, you got questions on anything? Anything for anything cooked in? So we'll go this week. We won't go next week. Um, and then we'll go a week, and then Dr. Finn will be here, and then we'll go till the end of May. 
Y'all good? Everybody's okay? Okay. Um, you know, in some ways, part of all we're doing this year is to talk about being grown-ups, which is kind of fun, you know? My kids always ask me, am I lonesome that my, my kids are out of the house? I am lonesome that my kids are out of the house, but man, is it calm. <laughs> I mean, I put my keys down. I can come back two hours later. And if they're not there, there's only one person to blame. I meant me, Kirby. I didn't mean you. I meant I'd blame myself for moving my keys. No, I mean, you know, here's the thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, you've heard it all before. I mean, this is, you know. Hey, what are you going to do? It's all right. As the Ecclesiastes says, nothing new under the sun. So you just, you just keep going. But here's the thing. I mean, you just, you know, uh, in a way, you know, it's kind, of fun to be, it's kind of fun to be grown-ups in the church. It's fun to have all the kids. Although I was a little, little disappointed in the early service that they weren't going to let me come to church. I mean, they all walked in and then they stopped. And I'm still outside. I'm like... That's why it took so long. They're, fun. They're a funny group, okay? So, I mean, part of the fun is, is learning to be a grown-up in the church. And, and, you know, it's interesting. You can, take three, um, you can take three verses and go all year. But partly is you have to – one of the great things about studying Hebrew is um, it's a theological language. It's a language that believed in God. So every word is just sort of packed. So we've come all the way to this notion of discernment, Right. Of, of being able to figure out how things work. So I'm sort of at point 10, but I'm going to scooch along because I have a whole bunch of other stuff for you. So basically, you know, you get these gifts. One thing you get, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about knowledge. So it's, it's sort of the Lord opens up the world and you get to see everything, okay? And then the Lord gives you strength. He gives you strength to do the right thing, to pursue things, to persevere even when things are tough. To, to go a long way when things are good. You know, he gives you, he gives you the strength. The problem is those things, and this is what's kind of fun now, is that those things start to be harmonized. They start to work together, and somebody needs to be control of them. So now as we go to the next gifts, we, in a way, you know, we're sort of getting to the more sophisticated gifts. And also, you know, this is all over Scripture. Look for the old women and old men in the congregation. Old doesn't mean just gray-haired. It means actually that they have some savvy. You know, they've been around. So look to those people and really, you know, sort of ask them to be leaders and follow them. So there's a demand on older people to mature in the faith, and then there's a demand on younger people to follow them. Um, so, you know, everybody's got their, their deal to do. Well, that, that is tied up part and parcel with this notion, this gift of being able to discern. Um, so I give you this, you know, number 10, Splunk plus the Google driverless car. You know, Splunk sorts the data. Somebody has to sort the data. This is important. This isn't important. This is important now. That will be important later. But then somebody needs to, you know, put the pieces of data together and go forward. And this is where, you know, churches, you know, really live or die by this. You can have a lot of smart people in your congregation. But what's important is to pull the skills, the transfer, and then to make all those skills work together, all those gifts work together. And when you can do that, and we're actually pretty good at this, um, you know, when you can do that, your church really does well. What kills it always, ever, every time, what kills that, what kills that is pride. When one skill or one person, you know, basically says, I'm the way, the only way. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's 25 ways you can go, 
you can go to, you know, to Miami from here, and one of them is going through Rio. There's a lot of ways to get to Miami from here. You just have to decide which way you want to go. Um, so churches, you know, that's why it's important. You're going to have elections coming up. There's a couple of spots open for people who now have to retire. You kind of think to yourself, you know, um, you know who would be good for that spot? Who, who might be, who, it's, it's not just the, it's just not that they're good in their other life, but in this life, who can sort of pull the data together, marshal it and go forward, at the same time play nice with everybody else and encourage you and get things organized? And you have 10 spots like that on the governing board. You have, you know, a couple more spots like that in elders. Your pastors need to be able to do that, too. And everybody can do that. That's, the, that's discernment. That's the ability to sift things and give it a specific application, okay? So I give you at number 10, the counsels and qualifies and nudges and informs and shapes and harmonizes all these other gifts. So, and it's really a question, you know, what do we do now? What do we do next? And that's kind of the fun thing. And what's interesting in the life of this congregation is there are some things that every congregation needs to do. Say your prayers, go to the Eucharist, tithe, give alms. But that's just, you know, and so many congregations struggle at that level. That's just at the, you know, kind of knowing and doing level. Beyond that is the cleverness to say, is Finn the guy that we want to support in Africa, right? It seems that he is. You know, or how do we support, how do we do a better job with Christmas sharing when we get to December? Although it'd be kind of hard to do a better job. I mean, but actually, see, that's a, the cool thing about Christmas sharing is, is it's so much better than it was eight or ten years ago whenever we started because we're so much smarter and people are so much better and so much happier and less nervous and bring more translators. So those are the kind of things. Now, number 11, the good thing about this is, and this is the harder part, is that this um, saves us from making a mistake. It's not just enough to be smart. I mean, everybody knows smart people, right? It's not just enough to be smart. Uh, what's extraordinarily important is the things, the gifts that you've been given, you know, knowledge or force. It's not just, it's not, just enough, it's not, it's not enough just to be strong, right? The important thing is that you use those gifts. Anytime that you fall back into one of the sins that we've been talking about, it sort of blows everything up. And in some ways, this is why it's not that hard being in the church. You know, um, it's hard in one sense because sin you know, always manifests itself in new ways. But in another sense, there's only so many sins, like ten, and, you know, or one, you know, really, in reality, every sin breaks the first commandment. So um, if you don't use this gift you've been given of counsel, as the scriptures called, or discernment, you know, what happens is, is that, and just take a look at this, you never get past sort of your natural desires. So what happens, you've all seen, I just give you a natural impulse, I don't know exactly how to name these, but you've, often, you've all seen when people in your own lives or in the church work on raw emotion. Okay, now, raw emotion is not very helpful. I mean, emotion comes out of a lot of bad places in the heart sometimes, you know, like when I get pinched. Well, here's the thing, sometimes maybe I should be pinched, you know, because maybe I'm out across the line. Uh, you know, so, or, or, or rashness, if you move too quickly. Now, sometimes churches move too slowly. You know, they don't really care, and they just, they just sort of are happy to come to church and go home. But the other side is sometimes, you know, you can move, you, know, you, can, get out and, you can get out over your skis a little bit, and that doesn't, that doesn't help. Or I'll just give you a good one. I still have, you know, one of the things is biases. I still know people. So this is still in the Missouri Senate. I still know people from churches. They're old now. I know people who grew up in churches who, when uh, black folks were first in the service, 
And then when they had, and this is, you'll think, you, you can't imagine this. When black folks were in the service and they used the common cup and black folks came, you know, they transferred out of their congregations. I still know people in the Missouri Senate where that happened in their congregations. I mean, you, you think to yourself, after all the talk about neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, you know, all the descriptions, and those are the descriptions he's using. But one of the things that, you know, the discernment does is it, it, um, it ruins our biases and our prejudices. So, for example, about poor folks, you know, like, you know, poor folks need to be welcomed in this place. I mean, one of the great stories, one of my great stories of St. John is, you got, if you didn't come to Saturday night service, you never knew this story. But this is way back when Eifert was still here because he got to deal with it because it was easier for me. Uh, <laughs> there, used to be, there used to be a poor homeless guy who would come to Saturday night service, especially when it was cold. And um, he was poor and homeless. You give him that, but he was also playing us a little bit, so that's where you have to get the discernment idea in. So he would come on Saturday night. He'd always come late, and he'd sort of shuffle in about eight pews from the back. And he would make a deal out of being there. See, we wouldn't make a deal out of it. And this is how we knew we were being played, because he would make a deal out of it. And he didn't have shoes. And I don't know whether he didn't have shoes or didn't. See, this is, again, you can't really got to discern these sorts of things. But he had his feet wrapped in cloths, in bandages. And somewhere about near the sermon, so the first couple of weeks he was there, everything was cool. Then, like, a couple of weeks in, he started taking the bandages off his feet, unwrapping his feet. And, you know, his feet were funky. I mean, I'll give him that. And he would sort of put them on display. They'd be up and around. And then about seven or eight weeks in, honestly, he, so he comes in, he sits down, he unwraps his feet, he shows them to everybody, and then one week, honestly, he takes off his hat when the ushers go forward, and he starts taking his own collection. <laughs> now, you be me, okay? <laughs> you could see Ife, man, the, you know. But, I mean, so there, there needs to be some discernment there. You've you, you got to love the guy. I mean, he's poor and he's cold and he doesn't have much. But, hey, nobody gets to take their own collection. <laughs> oh, you don't get to do that. We take one collection and then we, you know, discern what to do with it. So, you know, you have to, but, see, if you're automatically, think of the fun we would never have had if we were prejudiced against that guy and didn't let him come in and sit down, right? So your discernment is always, um, it's like, I don't know, Usher's a reminder. We always need to have somebody at the door. There's always one usher who needs to be at the door because we leave our doors open, especially on Saturday night, especially when it's cold. We leave our doors open, and somebody has to be out here because if the door is open, people can come in and go right down the stairs, and, you know, we have no idea they're here unless we search every, you know, unless we search every building. This is a big building. A walkthrough takes half an hour or more, right? So we've got to pay attention to what's going on. It's those kind of things. But we, we too easily go the other way. And I give you some more, you know, indifference. Um, you know, we've tried to pump up the persecution of Christians in the world continues. We've tried to pump up um, the number of, of churches and countries that we pray for. I mean, every week, it's really, it's really difficult, you know, being a Christian in the world these days in many, many countries. Um, you might have read in Syria there was, I mean, you just, you just, this is just the raw evil of the world. There was an old priest who's been at home for a long time. Even the Muslim clerics were quite respected and shocked by this. This guy's, and he's stuck in, he's been there like 30 years. He was 75 years old. I don't know if you saw this last week, but, you know, and everybody knows where he is. He's in this monastery. Everybody else is gone. He continues to bring food and medical care to the local population. The civil war is raging around him. Two guys come in with masks. They say, you know, um, come with us. Instead of going with him, he sat down behind his desk. So they pulled out a gun and shot him twice in the forehead. 
Now, this is a guy, this priest has been there, I think 40 years or 45 years, and everybody knows him. But, I mean, you can't really in some ways figure that out. All you can say is, you know, it's evil and um, inexplicable. It's really interesting even when the locals on both sides can't figure it out. Um, There's another similar younger guy who, believe it or not, actually commutes in from London. He's He's pretty famous, which will probably get him killed. Um, he's pretty famous, I think, in Damascus, and he runs a church there. He's a Christian. I mean, just to be, and these guys, you know, it's not like they can hide. They go vested everywhere they go. So if you want to find these guys, I mean, when I saw pictures of this guy, he was vested in much like what we wear. It's just an alb, and he's a white alb. I mean, you stick out. Um, but, you know, you just have to, you just have to kind of keep going. Uh, so we try, to, we try to up our game a little bit and remember those people. And, you know, the whole thing about alms especially, and you've been very good and the money keeps coming in and that's great. The money today goes to Pastor Finn. I think I said that. We'll gather up money for him. So if you toss it in and, um, you know, you just, you just, you just keep going. Um, I, I'm, I flipped the page. I, just, I do want to kind of scoot through this. At the bottom of 13, then I give you the normal places where you'd do this, uh, is if you come for absolution uh, or you chatter about absolution. So uh, it's a great place to confess, I'm weak here, uh, I'm broken here, I'm biased here. I don't, you know, I, I, gotta stop, I should stop and say this. Partly, one of the hard things, you know, all the things I've learned over the years, in another 10 years I'll be fit to be a pastor. You know, but I, one of the things I learned early, this is fairly intuitive, that you know, when people are addicted to something, you can't really give them much pastoral care because they can't think clearly. And so usually what we do is we try to move them on to some helpfulness. One of the things I didn't realize was um, that there are several more diseases than I knew that, um, that garble people's thinking. You know, they, they have, we have a disease like MS is one, where it didn't, didn't occur to me except until a doctor told me that at some point people can lose their faculty of being able to think in a linear way. So you're working with them and talking to them, and then things just don't. You're kind of like, what's going on there? There's more of that than maybe you know. But here's the thing. The other thing is to be caught in a deadly sin. This is true for any sin. So partly when I talk to you about how sin chips away at you and what you are, um, partly you know, if you start to put all the pieces together that we've done in Lent. So here's the thing. When you sin, even a venial sin, kind of a normal sin, you tell a little lie. You're selfish. You yell at somebody, you're biased, you refuse to repent of your sins, pick something. The normal garden variety sins that you come and get forgiven every week at the Eucharist. You kind of have to remember, you have your guardian angel, you know, kind of on one side. I mean, this is why you need to go to the movies more, where they have those little angels on their shoulders talking. You know, that's actually true. I mean, you actually have, every person has a guardian angel who beholds your face before the Father. But you also have, um, regularly, a demon who tempts you. See? <laughs> and one of the interesting things is, uh, so, and I've talked to you over the years about this. One of the things I've often said, I mean, if I really want to hurt somebody, I ask them to be an elder or, pre- or president of the congregation. If you kind of think through the presidents and vice presidents of the congregation, the governing board guys and the elders, almost every time they're elected and start to serve faithfully, they get punished. Something bad happens to them. It's very interesting. It made me crazy when I first started. But I, you know, now I've come to realize I ran that thing for you, I think, the week of Jesus' temptation. So that would have been Lent 2 about how, you know, demons pay attention to you, never talk to a demon. I've talked to you in the past about when you complain, you show the demon. It's like you show the demon your weakness. 
So one of the reasons not to constantly complain all the time is you're broadcasting your weakness. And you remember that in that little thing about the demon, it says he studies you. So he studies you and watches for your weakness, which is why, you know, if you want to confound the demons, make the sign of the cross occasionally or sing the Kyrie or pray the Lord's Prayer out loud. A demon can't read your heart. Only God can read your heart. But your physical, you know, the, the muttering and swearing under your breath, the out loud complaints, all those are observable. See, the, every, everything that's demonic and evil is, you know, is a corruption of the good thing. So all these gifts that we're talking about, discernment, using power, demons use power in an evil way. They use knowledge in an evil way. So they study you and they too try to discern. And this is the, you know, the basic rule is, for exorcists is, uh, or for pastors especially, you never talk to a demon. You always turn aside. You never embrace. They talk. You never talk back. Because if you talk back, what happens to you is what happens to Adam and Eve. Demons are smarter than you are. Angels are smarter than you are. It's one of their gifts. You have flesh. They don't have flesh. They have greater intelligence. You have lesser intelligence. So you never back and forth. Because if you back and forth, you're a dead man. Well, see, here's the thing. All the things that you do. So if you complain, you tell the demon where you're weak. Different from when you say your prayers of lament, you compare, you, if you start with, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everything after that is protected. That's attorney-client privilege, okay? <laughs> it really is. It's, it's, like the, it's like an insulated wire, everything. But when you complain, when you strike out, one of the things you do is you excite the demons, okay? You excite sinfulness. So in the same way that when you're merciful, good takes flesh in you. So when you're kind to someone, Jesus is taking flesh in you. That's what it means to be the body of Christ, to be a Christian. In the same way, when you lie, when you cheat, when you steal, when you hate, even if it's not a mortal sin, even if it's not if it's all the way to murder. This is why Jesus said, you know, you lust for a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. You call a man, you fool, you're liable to death. Why? Because at that point, you've excited evil and you've given evil incarnation in your flesh. So sin can be incarnate in your flesh. You know, if you punch Dan in the nose, evil is incarnate in your flesh. You know, you've given evil. You've put more evil into the system. You've put grit in the gears. Okay? Now, having said that, it's important for you to understand this too. When you engage evil, it corrupts your other faculties. Repeatedly, especially when you're in repeated sin or when you're in a mortal sin, your faculties get worse and worse and worse and worse. This is why I was talking about. So in addiction, you can't think clearly. In some illnesses, not your fault, but they attack your mind, you can't think clearly. In the same way, in repeated sin, repeated unconfessed sin, so in unconfessed sin, in repeated unconfessed sin, in mortal sins, you can't think clearly and we can't depend on you. We can't depend on you to care for your family, care for yourself. We certainly can't depend on you to be a leader in the congregation. We just we can't depend on you because you can't see the world. You can't choose well. You no longer you lose the gift of discernment, and sometimes your force may be increased. You know, all these little stories like selling your soul to the devil so you'll be really, really strong or really, really good, 
that all that stuff has a grain of truth in it. What happens is your strength then gets turned to the darkness. So this is why it's so important to have people. You can see all the reasons why discernment, why counsel is important. So the Holy Spirit speaks to you and said, the life of Jesus looks like this. And Jesus says, follow me. And when you follow him, right, in every way, when you teach us to pray, so we pray like this. Get baptized and make disciples. Or make disciples by baptizing and teaching. So we baptize and we teach. Tithe and give alms. So we tithe and give alms. Whenever you don't do those things, right, don't forsake the assembly. Don't forsake meeting together, as some do, or in the habit of doing, the end of Hebrews. Meet together. Come on the Sabbath, Acts 2, right? Stand up and give a good witness, the kind of witness that drives the demons away. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, right? So the name of Jesus is your protection, in all situations, right? That's what's important to do as the church. That's the reason we have to kind of think these things through. If you don't do these, even apathy. So people think, you know, if you don't go to church, it's a neutral. There is nothing that is neutral. There's nothing in life that is neutral. It's either a plus or a minus. At every second of your life, your life is either good or evil. It's either Eucharistic or it's not. There is no neutral ground. You can't stay home from church for a month, away from the Eucharist for a month, without it destroying you. You can't do it without it hurting you. Destroying is too strong. You can't stay without it hurting you. It hurts you. Okay? So then, when you look for leaders, men and women in the church, what you look for is people, and we always do this. You should just know, if you're put up, for, I mean, I just, I just so you know what happens here, if you're put up for leadership in the church, the first thing the pastors do, the very first thing is talk with each other, then we check your attendance at church, then we check your attendance at Bible study, then we check your giving. And we don't give all those details to the elders, but we kind of at the elders' point give you a thumbs up or a thumb down, and then we ask the elders their discernment about you. And then, now there's still a very small number, so this doesn't go to gospel. This is like we have to figure out whether this person, and it could be you're a very good person and do all those things, but you just don't have the gift of being a leader. It could be you have the gift of being a leader, but you don't have the other things going, so we don't know where you're going to take us, and it might be bad. And especially if you ascend to a position of leadership, that's particularly the point where the devil pounds on you, right? It's true for pastors. It's true for pastors' kids. If you want to get at pastors, you work on their wives. You work on their kids. You work on the elders. You work on the people who, in leadership who support them. This is just classic, basic, if you want to do damage, you blow up the community. As Augustine says, evil is when things are scattered. You see how all of this comes out of discernment. So you have to know all of this to start with, but then you have to be able to look around the room and look around the congregation and say, now what do we do, right? And you need to be able to say, this person is running hot. They're good right now. We need to go with that. This person is struggling or running cold or taking a wrong turn. They need to pause. Um, that's all in, you know, this, this part of, our, of discernment, okay? You still okay? This is why both forgiveness and then also being in touch with your pastor or somebody who's wise. But you should be careful when you seek counsel. One of the really hardest things of living in a place like we, although I should, you know what? This is true in a small town in my first congregation, too, which was everybody's an expert about everything. Now, when I think about it, that town was filled with experts, too. <laughs> think about that. 
So, you know, one of the great problems is, but I do, I do notice that here. One of the problems is, is when in, in Wheaton is people are so smart about what their jobs. We just got a demographic study, a free one. We got, a, we got one kind of as a gift, and so John and I were, Pastor Nelson, were kind of puzzling through it and looking around. But the level of education at, within three miles of this congregation, was it like 63% of the people had graduated? Where did he go? He was right there. It was like 63% of the people within three miles of this point right here have graduate degrees. I mean, that's like, you're like, holy cow. You know, everybody's an expert on something. Um, the, the, the median income, way back when we did our very first studies to move over here, the median income in this area was like sixty-seven dollars or $68,000, which is what we thought was a big number. It's like 117000 now or something like that. It's a big, that's a big number. Um, so basically what you have is very accomplished people, very smart people, who, Luke, use your powers for good, you know? Don't lose your powers for evil. It's so, so very, very important that you use your powers for good. That's what the church is, is supposed to be doing. So I would just tell you, I mean, you should be able to trust your pastors, although I, pastors can be goofballs too, you know, but they have elders to tell them they're goofballs. But in general, if I was you... I would be judicious about from whom you seek counsel. Because everybody in Wheaton has an idea, and believe me, they're very, very willing to tell you what it is. But often it's exactly that, you know, I'll just tell you. Well, shoot. One place where people are particularly bad is the death point. I'll just I'll generalize this as much as I can. But people regularly give very, very poor counsel at the death point. You know, they say to people, be strong. Really? So basically that means stuff it down and let it blow you up two years from now? Or here's the stupidest thing people say, be strong for the person who's just died. Like, really? That's a very common thing that people say. You need to be strong for your husband. He would want you to be strong. Really? He said to you, when I drop dead, be strong. Hey, Caribou, when I drop dead, have a party. Okay? <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm just getting it out there. So don't go to my wife and say, be strong. It's, a, it's the worst possible thing. The, the worst po- the, what you need to do is just have a big blowout cry. That's what you need. Be strong for the person who's dead. Believe me, you should have been strong for the person who was dead while they were alive. The death point is a really easy one because people give the worst counsel at the death point. And everybody has something to say because people are unnerved by death and they don't know what to say, so they usually say something stupid. Okay? I'm sorry. It just is what it is. What you say to people when they, you say the fact of the matter. So go back to knowledge. Here's the fact. Jesus baptized your husband. Jesus put the Eucharist into your wife. When people are baptized, Jesus takes them home. When the Eucharist is in them, they're indestructible because the Eucharist is indestructible. When your flesh is joined to Jesus, when the Father looks at you and he can't tell the difference between you and Jesus, nothing can hurt you. That's the sort of thing that comforts people at death. Not, And you notice, and you're smart enough to know this, I didn't say one thing about you. So it's almost always wrong when you say, well, you should, blah, blah, blah. If people could, they would. You know, they can't. They're broken death. It's the ultimate, you know. So what you say is Jesus. Jesus baptized them. Jesus blessed them. Jesus heard their prayers. Jesus gathered them to the altar. Jesus forgave their sins. Jesus stood by them in suffering. Jesus stood by them in death and in life. Jesus brings them near at the Eucharist. Jesus bathes them in light. Jesus loves them and gives them love for eternity. Jesus holds them close. Jesus reintroduces them to all their friends and family. Jesus, without a tip, 
can get him a seat next to John the Baptizer at the Eucharist. <laughs> Jesus can do tons of things that we never even think about, okay? So be careful where you choose your, your advice, and when you give advice, make sure that you give godly advice, okay? You know, 14, I've just sort of given you things that I kind of use as touchstones. You don't really, you know, you've heard all that from me before. But um, stick around. You know, the goal is going to be to get through the last couple of gifts and sins. But stick around. It's going to get fun now because the things all need to be put together and it becomes very, very practical. So you start to reflect in yourself. Where has God given you knowledge? What are you smart about? So, so here's the thing. We get some nominations for, you know, we get some, people always nominate guys for the governing board who are good with wrenches. This is so interesting. Now, why do they do that? Why do, they, why do people nominate guys who are good with wrenches? Butcher, Chester, Marty Johnson, they're good with a wrench, right? Why do they do that? Why do they do that? Because we're not good with wrenches. And when you see a guy who's good with a wrench, you say to yourself, hey, hey, a guy who knows how to use a wrench, you should be king, right? Here's the thing. If you take all the guys who are good with wrenches and you put them in a room with no wrenches but a lot of papers and pencils, you've made a very, very severe error, okay? <laughs> so what you want to do is, this is part of your discernment. When you're, look, you're looking around saying, okay, there's a room and there's no wrenches. Now, who do we... This doesn't mean to say, Mr. Butcher, you couldn't be nominated because we do love you. But I've seen him on the working end of a wrench. It's a thing of beauty, Right? So, I mean, be, just, be, just think this all the way through. Now, it's possible a guy like Butcher is good with a wrench and a pencil and paper. Hey, when you've got multi-talents, then you've got a good problem, right? You could run the option, right? Or you just pass or throw. You could pass and throw. There are guys like that, okay? But that's the sort of thing where you always have to be thinking and always in love. All right, so we're clean up to the point of anger, the deadly sin of anger, which, you know, we did pretty thoroughly almost for eight weeks, um, but it's four years ago. And there's a lot of new people, and there's stuff on either end that we should talk about. So you've got where we're going next. Nothing next week uh, here, because it's Easter. Come, there's a secret Santa who's bringing donuts for Easter. This should be great. What's more fun than Easter? Every kid sugared up with two or three donuts (laughs) at Easter. Between 9.30 and 10.30. You know how, like, when they guys win the Super Bowl and they put ponchos on? I would advise you <laughs> next week, because I've heard there are donuts, like more donuts than you can count coming. The next week we'll play. The next week Paul Finn will be here. Then we'll have a few more weeks to play, and then we'll be out for the summer, okay? Uh, I love you. It's really not too hot because it's going to snow tomorrow, so just think about that if you're too hot and think. All right, go enjoy the windows. I love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you.